Welcome back to Fitness or Fiction, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the hype of the health and fitness industry. Every week, we dig into a new topic and help you wade through the real information to make solid decisions on your fitness journey. And boom, we're live. Boom. Happy with that. Okay, we're back. It feels like it's been a long time. Has it only been one week? It's only been one beautiful week, but it's snowing outside now, so... Something's changed. That's beautiful. I want snow for Christmas. Yeah. Welcome back to Fitness or Fiction. Welcome. Welcome. A podcast where Curtis is punching hype directly in the face. I like punching hype in the face. There's, you know, nobody gets upset. We're talking well, some people. We're talking about uh, ballistic stretching, going down our mobility rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. Ballistic stretching today. So there's a few things to wade through with that. I was, I was curious about this one because I knew about static stretching. I knew about, uh, what else did we cover? PNF stretching, foam rolling. These are all things that I was familiar with. I wasn't really, like, I wasn't familiar with what ballistic stretching was. It sounds really crazy. Yeah. Well, it's not that crazy. Like, it's your sprint warm-ups, your leg swings, like things that are developing speed. Yeah. I was doing ballistic-style stretching for a long time like it's something that uh, i think a lot of um martial arts actually do absolutely in, yeah when they're uh warming up or cooling down but i found that there wasn't yeah there was um after kind of doing the research and stuff like that where i was curious like i was looking for answers like do you do it before the workout do you do it after the workout when's the best time to do it and i felt like it, when we did it in martial arts it was kind of just scattered like any time is good well consistency right isn't that what we're discussing though yeah like, there's tons of information out there, and everybody says different stuff, but they're usually just regurgitating what they've learned from people that they've they've worked with. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, how are you feeling after last week? So, we've, we finished talking last week about PNF. How'd you feel after that one? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. It's, uh... It, I always felt it was a little bit more effective than just static stretching, I guess. I don't know. Well, it is. We know that. We learned that. That's good. Yeah. This is one thing that research is really interesting about. People think that they're going to get into research and it's just like, here's the answer. But that's really what this is all about is that it's not just about like a flat out answer and you will find kind of guidance towards what you do. But it's very rare that you find a study that's like, oh, this changes everything. Now everything's different. It's usually like, oh, that's going to that's going to help me organize a bit better. Here's the answer for everyone. So everyone can do the exact same thing and there's no more variance. Everyone's just going to do the same thing and we're all going to achieve great flexibility. TikTok. X check mark. Not like this, like this. I make a 30 second video on like, do this stretch to be super flexible. <laughs> I'm going to do a video that instead of the check mark and the X has like a, one of those kind of equal two signs in the middle and two different ones. And it's like, depends. Yeah. And then just the emoji of the guy doing like the, I don't know. And mm-hmm. then just enlarge it until it's the full yeah. screen of confusion. Yeah. Well, I think if we were going to summarize stretching stat like just static holding stretching isn't what people think it is no it's not for i think most people approach static stretching thinking that they're going to get uh, increased flexibility from it and like the research shows that you will get that but you have to be very very consistent and it's going to be slow yeah if you want that it's going to be some diligent work decreasing pain is something that it doesn't necessarily do that well there's situations where it will um performance increases no probably shouldn't do a ton of it before you uh, out well before you perform let's say perform especially Mm -hmm. for athletics 
And then, you know, PNF, you end up getting faster changes in range of motion, more, more breathtaking acute changes, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it makes sense because it's, it's harder work. Like you got to contract. And if you're contracting good, uh, you're going to see changes. But I think both of these are a similar zone for me. It's like, yeah, will it increase range of motion? Yes. Are you doing that for a particular reason that's definitely good? That's, that's really where it comes back to. And it's like, okay, so the more you learn how to use your tissues, the better they will respond. I love that. Well, yeah. I was thinking too, before we started rolling, people think that like a tight muscle is like inherently a bad thing. Like if the muscle is tight, it's bad and I need to get it looser longer. And they also attribute a tight muscle to being a muscle that's going to be more likely to get pulled or strained. Is that the case? Well, yeah, you do see that. But like functional movement assessment, I've talked to some people that were teaching the functional movement assessment. I think it's Gray Cook. Mm -hmm. Um, And what they started doing is moving away from that because they started finding that people getting the lowest or worst scores on it were the highest performing people. And it really didn't correlate that well to injury like they were hoping. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's one of these things. It is multifactorial. It's not just... Well, if you're more flexible, you're better or worse. And in fact, when you look at strength, the more flexible people are often not as good performing. Often. Mm-hmm. Not always, but often. So let's talk about wins. How, how were wins for the week for you? I did some testing. I haven't really touched weights too, too much. I've been doing so much calisthenics personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got ambitious and tested my deadlift. So I got 355. And I don't think I've seriously done any strength training for at least a year in regards to like weight training. So I was like happy with it. Ish. Happy ish. Happy ish. I like happy ish. Happy ish. Why only happy ish? Did you want something different or Mm. where's the ish from? And that's the thing like where it's when we set these standards or bars for ourselves, like we set these goals for like what purpose for me. I always felt like 400 was a number where I wanted to stay around. Right. To me, all like the guys that we know who we would identify as just like strong in the gym, most of them can pull 400 and I uh, cannot. So it's in comparison to people that we know, people that uh, we've trained with. Well, we need to do some more talking on on setting goals. I think we'd, we really need to get into that topic and and shed some light on uh, belief systems behind what we're setting and and why that is. Yeah, because in comparison, if somebody like if somebody pulled three fifty five and they haven't lifted weights in a year, they might be ecstatic about it. But I was kind of like, well, that's okay. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I still think it's a win, especially after not doing it for a while. If you did that consistently for a couple of weeks, it would go up right away, just because your brain would be more ready to do it. Mm-hmm. So that was like. Hey, guess what? We're doing this today, guys. Haven't seen this in a while. Good luck. You're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to learn today. So The well, only thing that got wrecked was my upper back. That's perfect. That means you're lifting well. That's nice. My upper back was like, you bastard. That's perfect. <sighs> well, my win, I, um, I have both boys diving under the water and going to get things at the pool. Noise. And it was really fun. Lucas this week grabbed onto a pair of those like <laughs> aqua-sized dumbbells and yeah. he was going around himself in the little lazy river for like 10 minutes and he'd do like a little muscle up to get a nice clean breath and then go back down and just kind of <laughs> wade and then put his head under the water and look with his goggles. So that's cool. And I started going skiing with Will uh, consistently. Got a season's pass. So we went over to COP this weekend, spent a few hours and he's, yeah, he's not far off from being able to just do the whole hill himself, which is really exciting. Noise. So, 
So that's exciting. Um, let's talk about today. So, but I think a good place to start with ballistic stretching is what are we talking about? Because there is some confusion online, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. So when I started doing the research, there seemed to be a lot of confusion between dynamic stretching versus ballistic stretching and how, how that's defined, I think is important because that's going to lead to a lot of the confusion. Like, yeah, I think that starting from a nice, a nice clean uh, standpoint is a good place to start. So let's let's create our terms here because it's not always the same in research or articles online and so let's let's try to create some clarity where there's not a, a whole time yeah there just didn't seem to be a very like concrete like society agrees that the definition of dynamic stretching is like slow controlled movements to your own personal end ranges versus like that's how i would define dynamic stretching it wouldn't be quick leg sweeps or fast arm circles that's from what i was researching and then like ballistic stretch would be like you push the tissue to like you would go for a toe touch you feel that strength stretch sensation and then you like bounce and pulse out of that stretch sensation right. to uh, like multiple times to intensify it so we don't need to have consensus among the, the population or populace but let's say for our purposes that are defined terms what we're actually trying to discuss about for clarity is that today we're discussing ballistic type warm-up slash stretching it's not doesn't really strike me as a stretching activity for the most part it, it can be applied that way but let's let's call it a ballistic warm-up and our definition of that is going to be something that includes development of speed would that be fair i don't think all of the ballistic stretching needs to have that much speed though well, like if I'm sitting down doing a toe touch, ballistic stretching, like from from the internet would be like, I'm sitting down going for a toe touch, I touch my toes and then I just sit there and pulse back and forth. Like it's not necessarily that much speed. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be much, but it would be a hell of a lot more than what I would consider dynamic, which is smoothly moving into the end range rather than changes in acceleration. Mm. So like the pulse would be pretty notable changes in acceleration or changes in speed. Yeah, and I think myself included anyone listening or searching that might think that speed would be like you're actually like getting a lot of like maximal speed not just like a quick pulse 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 yeah so yeah we would i think saying nice and cleanly like development of acceleration slash speed when you start seeing big changes in that or, or even small changes in acceleration mm -hmm. where it's like okay well that's that's more ballistic where something that's dynamic would be more characterized by an even controlled pace. Would, yeah. that, would that be clear? Yeah. So if you're listening, that's that's the starting point here. Ballistic type warm-ups. I don't like calling it stretching because, yeah, you can do your end range pulses, but you know, a lot of what you'll see is going to be things like um, leg swings or um, sprinting drills or leaping drills or you know explosive type push-up patterns and things like this mm -hmm. that that relatively clear does that kind of make it clearer yes and no for me when i was researching ballistic straight legs because it was i was searching specifically ballistic stretching not ballistic warm-up and it was all like to me what i was finding it was all like static positions that you would then pulse in and out of well, that's beautiful. So it wasn't necessarily like push-up drills or sprinting drills or anything like that. That would be classified more down the dynamic route. Whereas like it would be like lifting your leg up onto a surface where you feel a hamstring stretch and then just pulsing it. So the ballistic stretching from what like my point of view was all like 
sitting in whatever static stretch you have, but then pulsing in that static stretch. So you got into the more like ballistic stretching and I got in more to the ballistic warm up side of things. Maybe that's what it might be. Yeah. Well, that's okay. So we got two ends of ballistic. I like that. That actually, I think there's strength in that. That's good. We can get into that. Um, so really, if we're looking at two different sides of it, um, what are, what are your overall impressions when you're looking at say ballistic stretching on its own? What like what did you find? Uh, well, immediately as I started googling, like you know, just ballistic stretching, like uh, studies, research, um, like the benefits and things like that, on everywhere. Scholar Google. Yeah. Yeah. Scholar Google. Cool. Doctor right. Google. Yeah. And um, every article was had like warning signs like danger danger don't do this danger this is only for athletes danger like only for basketball players and ballerinas and people who need like either explosive jumps or who need hyper mobility to achieve certain positions and do things like that but like don't do this for gen pop like increased chance of like injury just do static stretching instead that was like a lot of the consensus do you think that a fair that fair chunk of that just comes from the idea that the people making this literature are afraid that people might not take their due diligence to work up to something like that. Like the, the actual adaptation time required to have something like that be available. Isn't something that's going to be respected. Yeah, it definitely could be. But again, I, I still think there might be some value behind what they're saying. Cause a lot of people who are not gym goers might try something like that and tweak themselves. Oh, and I I absolutely agree that there's value with that. <laughs> I'm not trying to position that they're they're wrong, but I think that's the worry about it in general is that how do you identify that you're ready to start applying something like that? Mm -hmm. I think that's a real big limitation here. Well, how do you know when you're ready or like, do you even need it? Yeah. Like, wow, like what are the benefits of ballistic stretching versus static stretching and do you even need it? Is this Beautiful. something that should be incorporated in your program? Well, we have a few different zones that we've been talking about with the other stretches. So, you know, when we talk about static versus PNF stretching, for example, we talked about does it increase range of motion? It was a big one. Right. So what did we find out with that that realm for you did ballistic stretching, I did ballistic warm-up. What sort of information did you find out? So, yeah, like the little difference there is, again, think about any static stretch position that you can achieve or obtain and then pulsing in that that's kind of more of what I, my brain was wrapped around searching and looking for in regards to increasing range of motion um so i had three studies here actually i found two studies in regards to increasing range of motion and they kind of contradicted each other a little bit well let me hear about that when we talk about these studies do we want to talk about like all the the, the the time allotted, the amount of people, things like that. Give me an overview. That's cool. Okay, so an overview. This one was in 2010, and it was on the hamstring muscle length. Um, so they had four weeks, 30 people, 15 of each gender between the ages of 18 and 27. There was three groups. There was a static stretching group, a ballistic stretching group, and then a control group basically doing nothing. Um, Post-study, static and ballistic stretching produce an increase in hamstring length though static was a greater increase in length compared to ballistic so those doing static stretching for those four weeks oh and like i don't know who creates these studies but this one specifically was only a 30 second stretch one set of a 30 second stretch three times a week it doesn't even really seem like enough to affect anything to me but 
Like Ten apparently down. there was mild. They yeah. had an increase, but uh, I'm surprised you, we saw anything with that amount of input. Yeah. yeah. And then a similar study basically concluded that ballistic stretching is better than static stretching in improving the range of motion on a tight individual. And it didn't really give me the details like how much it increased. So I found two studies there, both within the 2010 range. One said that static's better. One said dynamic's better or ballistic. Yeah, I found one um, 2018 and uh, by um, J. Michael Ryan Publishing, Inc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the uh, actual authors. um, There's a variety of of authors. Um, But this is more of a meta-analysis done by Lima, Camila, and others. And really what they were doing was checking on, this is actually the one that I got that was ballistic stretching. And they're saying... Um, while enhancing joint flexibility may also decrease the hamstring and quadricep strength ratio. Um, and they would call that a knee strength imbalance. And they were basically saying that like the more experienced, um, ballet dancers, um, uh, didn't have decreases in performance and actually some increases in, in leaping. But, um, what this points towards is, is what we'll talk about a little bit later, which is, um, the outcomes of actually doing ballistic type movements on performance. Um, to me, that's really interesting, but what they started finding is, yeah, it will change some length tension relationships a little bit, but not significantly. And in a lot of ways they were, they were basically leading towards the idea that it's maybe not a good thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, yeah, do you want that adjusted was the real question that, uh, that I came out of that convers that, um, article with, like it was, it was a pretty big one to read, but um, it didn't really come up with anything significant. A lot of the stuff that was like significantly insignificant, strength ratio differences between the quad and hamstring, they're saying um, contributes to knee instability, but there was no demonstrated injury. So like the, the makeup of, of that was kind of challenging for me. Mm-hmm. But really, let's, let's just kind of dispense with some of the formalities and say, okay, so when we were looking at our static variations, it's like, okay, so is this good to decrease pain or injury? Yeah. And I would I would say for somebody who's had an injury, this is not a great thing to use. Yeah. So that's that's fair. That's clear. I don't think it's, uh, in regards to injury, I don't think it actually helped much aside from like the feeling that it's helping just because you're giving the tissue attention. Yeah. So I, there's a couple here that talk about performance and... Um, performance is is actually one of those things that it's like well really you know the question people ask is how the heck should i warm up like um warm-up routines are all over the place and that's a whole other podcast <laughs> yeah well this is that's where we're gonna how have long to go should i warm up yeah it's where we're gonna have to go after all of this um but one of the big things that we look at as far as um force development and that sort of thing um, power performance can benefit from dynamic or ballistic type warmups is what they're saying. Um, but when they when they get deep into it, so um, the the article that I brought up specifically um, was talking about um, about um, ballistic stretching or aerobic performance to evoke post exercise hypotension, meaning your heart is going to respond better after exercise. So this one, I found it, it was a standout, and uh, it basically discussed the idea that it, by doing either just a light aerobic warm-up 
or a ballistic type protocol that your performance in the max, they were doing biking in this particular one. It was done in 2017. Um, and it was, uh, it was done by, um, a whole bunch of people's last names that are really hard for me cause they have like four <laughs> names, but like Dos Santos and Costa and Ribeiro. Um, but it, um, it basically demonstrated there's no changes in their max output bike after their warm up routine, mm-hmm. but their post exercise heart measures. So like, um, heart rate variability, systolic and diastolic were much more favorable for the ballistic and the aero- the low-level aerobic group. Mm-hmm. So I think that that kind of lends itself towards like, well, does that set up the system a little bit better? And I, I would I would argue, yeah, get some blood pumping before you ask a lot to go. Be like, well, you know, you start your car, you let it warm up, you go slow before you go fast. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. So that that was interesting for me. But when we look at, you know, for somebody that's trying to decrease pain, or um, decrease the chance of injury, this might not be the best thing, but it, it can help with some indicators of performance. Mm-hmm. So did you find anything that was like, this is good for um, decreased risk of injury or recovering from an injury? I didn't find any. Um, kind of, sort of, not really. I, I'm going to go on a different route because it's kind of correlates to injury or how you feel or pain i guess sure so one of them was uh ballist, like the effects of ballistic stretching on delayed onset muscle soreness and creatine kinase which is ck Ooh, let's hear it can you give us a explanation of ck levels uh, in someone so ck would be a good indicator of <clears throat> muscular damage after after a workout so like uh, ck levels in somebody that has rhabdomyolysis uh is rhabdomyolysis is like over exercising it actually splits open the cell wall and leaks out myoglobin that plugs up your kidneys and gives people kidney failure yeah my good friend norris had that and uh one of my clients actually had that before she was my client uh, from doing ghd sit-ups um and mr lopez had it recently did he i didn't know that lj had really yeah Yeah. like the last two years he, when he did that um, workout oh, Murph know. or something? I did know that. He was messed up after Nerf, yeah. Murph. So creatine kinase is basically a sign of muscular damage. So uh, CK levels being elevated is, is like, okay, your, your body has some significant metabolic outcome from exercise. It's, and then would it be fair to say that it's in recovery mode now? Like if your CK levels are very, very high, your body's kind of in... Uh, well, it depends if they're going up or going down. It's, it's a trend sort of thing. So yeah really high levels is like the body being like, I need to repair myself. If it continues rising, it's not, it's not not recovering. Yeah. So this ballistic stretching study was based on actually getting DOMS from the activity. So not about recovering from DOMS, which I thought was kind of interesting. So they compared a group of static stretchers and a group of ballistic stretchers. And they did it for, I think, um, five, five days. And they did three sets of 17 different stretches for 90 minutes. So this was like some heavy duty. Oof. This is an hour and a half of dedicated stretching. See, this, this is more of the stuff that I like to see because like they gave a significant stimulus. You should see some outcome. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So this one, like they were stretching a lot, like hour and a half a day, five days a week, and they were crushing, and they tested their CK levels um, before, or sorry, yeah, before they're stretching and then 24 hours after to monitor the CK levels. Um, so it was about like 
perceived soreness from stretching. So it'd be like, if you were doing a static stretching program for 90 minutes, is that going to make you sore tomorrow? So delayed onset muscle soreness, DOMS, from a stretching routine. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And then ballistic stretching, essentially doing the same routine, except we're doing the same stretching routine, except you're just going to sit a, in a hold, a, and a. I'm going to sit there and pulse it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it was kind of weird. When I first was reading it, I thought it was about recovery, and then I realized that it was actually like the stretching giving giving the pain in the DOMS. But um Essentially, it boiled down to that there were similar results in regards to assessed CK levels and perceived DOMS, although the static stretching group had significantly increased DOMS. So those who were doing static holds versus the pulsing were more sore. I think that could make sense for me. It's kind of counterintuitive, but... Well, wouldn't the time under tension be longer? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, they, kinda, don't have, they don't have any reprieve. That's like the dude that takes the 20-pounder and does like a... Three nice three second eccentric on his bicep curl versus the guy that does ten reps but no eccentric. Like yeah, I'm assuming you've stretched to a point where you've been sore weekly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've definitely done some stretches where I'm like sore afterwards. Like damn, I stretched out of it. Yeah. Ooh wee. <laughs> Ooh wee. So yeah, that wasn't uh, what I was looking to get out of that study, but I thought it was like interesting. Anyways, that uh, interesting ish, I guess. That is interesting. Well, I think that it's it's kind of fair when looking at ballistic stretching. It's like, well, is it mainly used to increase range of motion? It's like, well, maybe in preparation for doing something. But most people aren't using that as a strategy to let's let's get my hamstrings more flexible long term. Yeah. But interest. I love that kind of information because they went they really went in there. They went in deep, like because they're they're like yeah, ninety minutes of stretching. Yes, yeah, that's that's a big input there. So, but. When you see that there's more DOMs in a static stretching group, it just lets you know that is more time under tension for the system. Mm-hmm. More likely to have yielding, I would say. So um, in if I were to put side-by-side side, um, PNF, static, and dynamic stretching, I would put dynamic at the lower end of, I need to increase range here, so that's what I'm going to do as a strategy. Yeah. So really, the what is the utility of of dynamic? I think that people are using it for preparation for performance. I don't, I don't see it for injury. I don't see it for, I'm trying to get out of pain. I don't see it for all of that. We're going to use your big boy brain to explain this one because I understand it only half-heartedly. Okay. So in regards to injury or injury prevention, this one study, and we mentioned it offline, so it's going to be a repeat for you, but it was talking about the effects of static and ballistic stretching on the muscle tendon tissue properties. So the piece that I don't fully understand here is the purpose of this test was the effects on passive resistance torque measured during isokinetic passive motion of the ankle joint and tendon stiffness measured by ultrasound imaging. So can you explain passive resistance torque measured during isokinetic passive motion for the world? (laughs) (laughs) The world doesn't get it. Well, that one's one's a little spicy for me, but what it sounds like, I'm going to give my best. Can I get the GED, the good enough degree? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to give it that. Um, Essentially, what it sounds like to me is that they're putting an ultrasound on something and they're just going until they're getting resistance. Like literally push push at something and see what the resistance is like there. So I've seen it at physio or or therapists using a passive. So uh, this was on the ankle. So it would be like their calf. They they set their foot up against something and said, push. Yeah. Do like a calf raise type deal. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, what's the tension looking like in that scenario? Yeah. So 
in regards to injury and stuff like that, so the method was they had 81 subjects who were randomized into three groups, static, stretching, ballistic, and then nothing. Um, they both did six weeks of a stretching program for the calf muscle. Before and after all this, they were evaluated for their ankle range of motion, passive resistive torque of the plantar flexors, and the stiffness of the Achilles tendon. So the only thing that I could see has some kind of play into injury prevention with ballistic stretching was that um, the findings proved that Static and ballistic stretching have different effects on the passive resistive torque and tendon stiffness. Both types of stretching should be considered. Oh, I'm reading too far ahead. Basically, ballistic stretching had a decrease in stiffness of the Achilles tendon, and static stretching did not. So I'm kind of curious as to what effect a decrease in stiffness in the tendons would be or translate to in the body. Well, that would really... That would really depend depend like on the person that you're talking about, like the context. So stiffness in the Achilles tendon is particularly an issue for people above 35 because your connective tissues really change over right around that phase of life. I've witnessed two Achilles tendon ruptures myself. Mm-hmm. I was there and uh, it's like, and it makes you want to throw up, but it's just empty after that. So like you want to make sure that tendinous tissues have extensibility still. So I actually, I think that doing dynamic activities is a good idea, especially when you look at, you know, what are the things that are going to stop the elderly population from falling? People keep saying balance and it's like, yeah, but I'm not talking about losing balance all the time. I'm talking about stopping from falling because I have, well, I don't have really good balance anymore, but I used to. And what would stop me from falling was I could express power very quickly you can move your foot out it's like when you see Mm. on america's funniest videos the dude that goes to catch a ball misses it and then he starts tipping over nice and slow and it keeps getting more and more because he can't take a big enough step fast enough to stop himself yeah that's interesting you say that because i think even about myself like we live in canada and it's snowing and icing and stuff if i slip on ice i rarely fall yeah on my ass yeah i basically can always catch myself and like through an expression of power or just an adjustment of position correct i can change position very quickly to make sure that i don't fall might look crazy like while i'm doing it like Wah. well and i i would say very clearly that i believe that with the older population we don't need to a- avoid um, the ability to express power we need to figure out how to express power in a safe environment for them mm-hmm. because if balance is one indicator power is power output or the ability to develop speed out of your just your body not a large weight but just your body or your your feet is going to be a big indicator on can i save myself yeah so those are two really important concepts to train so you know on that when we start talking about tendon extensibility and things like that um if it's showing that over static stretching that we can actually get more well the tendon what is the tendon's job like the the tendon doesn't have all those sarcomeres or anything. It's it's collagen based tissue, right? So it's it's kind of like an elastic. If it if it gets old and dry, like how are you going to service a tissue that you've never challenged in the way that you want? Mm-hmm. And it's it's really like when do you get those problems? People that are doing martial arts every single day don't typically run into those problems with uh, ruptures. That's usually somebody that they were really high level martial arts or something like this, and then they didn't do that for a while and express power that way and then when they come back to it they they hadn't reconditioned the tissues and when you see tissue ruptures especially in populations that are using say enhancement agents um, what you end up running into is that the muscles can get stronger faster than the tendons what's an enhancement agent (laughs) there's there's many of them is Uh, it organic 
I don't know. Holistic? I wonder if you could get it non-GMO. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, like, if, if there's androgens or anabolics involved, um, the, what you can have is you can have muscle tissue that gets really, really strong really, really quickly, but the tendon tissue turnover is, like, twice the time plus a little bit of, of muscle yeah. tissue. Yeah. So the muscle gets so much stronger that the tendon isn't actually ready to bear that load. And then you see tendon ruptures. And that's not only people that are using androgens or, or anabolics, but... The juice. Um, that's what Curtis is that's, saying. Yeah, yeah, that's what the I'm juice. So, but when it comes to that, it's like, well, should we be conditioning tissues for things that are like what we want them to do? I would say the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. So ballistics, I think, have a place when you're looking at ballistic type activities. I think it's pretty clear that they do. Um, the other thing that I looked up here uh, when we look at dynamic warm-ups was it was an article um, from Switzerland, actually, in 2015 by Sites and Half. And uh, it starts half spelt H-A-F-F, not H-A-L-F. Half. It's not a half person. Um, factors modulating post-activation potentiation. Um, so post, when we start looking at post-activation potentiation, we're looking for preparing the neurology and the physiology to do something. So we're, ta- we're preparing your brain and your muscles to work together for a task. Mm-hmm. So for example, you would see if somebody is going to lift a large weight, they'd probably lift a smaller weight first. Mm-hmm. If somebody's going to do a max jump, they'd probably do like some skipping or some, some semi-high jumps first. Yeah. It's, it makes sense. Like it follows that you would do that. But this effect, you can have a uh, carryover meaning if I'm doing ballistic type activities, I can have carryover to other types of ballistic activities. So what they did was they did a study on, you know, conditioning activities and all, all sorts of different ways that they could develop uh, power. And when they did that, they were like, well, what is the result? If I, if I do look at all of these different studies, this is a meta-analysis, so lots of them, but they're looking at like, okay, well, is this going to impact the jump, the sprint, the throw, and upper body ballistic exercises? And what are the influences of different types of these activities? And also, as a third piece, how do people with different levels of strength respond? And this was interesting for me because they're like, yeah, well, the potentiation or, or the increased performance of an, a power exercise, meaning throwing or jumping or whatever, was actually pretty small for jumping, throwing, upper body ballistic exercise and, and whatever, but it was relatively moderate for sprinting performance, which is really interesting. And then they said that this effect was larger among stronger individuals and those with more experience in the, in the gym. Um, so for me, when I see that, they're like, yeah, the best things were plyometrics as far as carryover and the people that best used that were people that were stronger and had more experience in the gym. Mm-hmm. That follows for me because that person has trained their neurological system to respond. Mm-hmm. And they've also trained it to connect with the tissues that it's going to use. But, you know, after looking at all of this, I think the utility for the average person, the average gym go- goer is relatively limited. Uh, the utility for dynamic stretching or, or sorry, ballistic stretching or ballistic warmups is more towards people that are going to endeavor to do something that is ballistic in nature. So the weekend warrior that's doing volleyball, you probably want to have some of that. But if you're not going to play volleyball and you're just going to head to the gym and do the treadmill and and some weights, it's not a 
absolute necessity, but it is something that's good to have kind of in your back pocket and do things that are relatively ballistic because having that speed component is is good for you. And this would be like pre-activity. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. From my, from my point of view or my conclusion, I guess, because mine my objective of searching for ballistic stretching was like sitting in a, a static position and doing your generalized local stretches that everyone knows. Like you sit on the floor with your legs out and you reach for your toes. I think gen pop would almost naturally do some pulses in that. Like they just kind of naturally pulse it and then hold just out of uh, more habit or just out of old lessons that were taught, whether it was like from your old gym teacher or from uh, your old instructor, your old coach or whoever, to me, it was very low, like it was very generalized that that's just kind of how you approach it. You sit down, reach for your hamstring, pulse, 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 and then do a big hold for a little while. And then pulse, 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 and then grab the other one. Pulse, pulse, pulse. Yeah, I, you know what? I actually think that there's a big case to be made that if somebody's doing dynamic activities or plans to, which is most people, that they should be teaching their tissues how to respond to that at some point. Mm-hmm. The ways that you do that, that you know, this the the real devil is in the details here how are we going to do that i think we can find much better ways than pulsing at your hamstring yeah i think that if you were to say like in shaolin we used to have our hands and keep our body stable and we'd kick our leg up diagonal and keep our leg straight and kick it up snap it back down kick it up snap it back down um that to me always felt really really good as far as control because i had to keep my um my core from changing Mm-hmm. I had to keep my core the same while I was utilizing um, power out of my hamstring. And so I think that there is utility there. I do. But I think that the the dynamic warm-up or, or ballistic warm-up, so let's stick with it, how we're talking about it, the ballistic type warm-up is a higher truth than ballistic type stretching. Would you agree with me on that or do you have a different look at that? You're saying dynamic is a higher truth uh, than ballistic. No, I'm saying ballistic warm-up is, is a higher truth than ballistic stretching. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was trying to get Like with my little spiel there is being like what your old gym teacher taught you might not be as valuable as what you might think. So just kind of generalizing it, especially if you're trying to think about like increasing in range of motion. I think that's when people want to stretch. A lot of people are just concerned about increasing range of motion. I don't think ballistic stretching is going to be your best way to uh to really chase that yeah thus far out of everything we discussed pnf seems to be the biggest yeah the biggest boy for range of motion for range of motion for sure i think that um ballistic warm-up can be really good to express that and to really make sure that we're taking care of our tenderness tissues um but really at the end of the day when it's like well what is the utility of this this is for uh, potentiation for athletic endeavors and making sure that the tissues are ready for the sort of stuff we're going to give them. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to be sprinting, I should probably do some sprinting drills before I get into a full sprint, mm-hmm. which I think it follows. But, you know, after looking at this, it's like, okay, static stretching, you know, that makes sense if I'm wanting to increase range of motion. That's going to be included in PNF though. Mm-hmm. And then ballistic stuff is more appropriate for warming up for what I'm doing and ballistic doesn't need to be really aggressive but some real low level basic running drills before you run it it seems to follow like, yeah I think the drills need to be intelligent for the activity that you're approaching absolutely for sure I think it needs to be contextualized based on what you plan on doing indeed so, but I think we're in an agreeance that's not a word agreeance agreement agreement whoever 
there's a word for that and it's not ants. <laughs> Agreeance. <laughs> we're making new words. That's an a sign of intelligence. Agreements. Agreements. Yeah. We're in agreement. We uh, yes. Well, if you're still here, thank you for joining us. I hope this was semi-coherent. Next time we're going to be talking about self-myofascial release, which we've covered a little bit with uh, massage guns. And then after that, we get into the active uh, and end range type stuff, which is, I think, where the rubber really hits the road. And then we're going to move on, and we've got some interviews coming up in the next little while here. So, cool, cool. Thanks, Thanks for, for joining us this week. We appreciate your support. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would subscribe, follow, and throw us a like on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts.